Rip it. Grip it and rip it. Oh, grip and rip it. Makes me think of the Haiti group. Haiti. Mets, why don't you pray? No, I pray. Connor, guys, I've prayed like the last six times. But Connor, so you never it. pray. Do you know how to pray? <laughs> I'm on retreat and I'll still pray. Okay. Right, nice, bro. dude. Father, still don't have Son, to learn. And the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Okay, can I get set before you start making any comments about my mic? Okay, hold on. Sure. I'm, I'm getting my feet set. Are we already recording? Yep. yep. Oh, man. All right, here we go. I feel like Joe Rogan right now. That's how <laughs> legit my setup is. <laughs> I have the same mic that Joe Rogan has. Oh, cool. Wow. The SM7B, I want to say. I have, a, I have a joke with my friend Pete, who's also a podcaster, that anytime you're online looking at mic reviews and things like that, this Sure SM7B is one of the most famous microphones because it's just super reliable. Hmm. And um, almost every review online, like if, if a person makes a video about this microphone, they're always like, a fun fact about this microphone is that every word of Michael Jackson's Thriller album was recorded on a Shure SM7B. Oh. And it's just one of those things where <laughs> once you hear it once, you you hear it a dozen times. And uh, it's kind of become an inside joke when I reference my microphone. He goes, wait, what kind of microphone do you have? Are you aware that Michael Jackson recorded <laughs> every word of Thriller on a Shure SM7B? Huh. Speaking of Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan made headlines uh again yesterday are you aware of the new documentary on the 1997 to 1998 second three-peat bulls i was actually going to ask you thing? if you were watching it because i want to watch it but i'm not going to until i'm off this retreat oh correct yeah uh, it's going to be my birthday present to myself i'm going to watch the first two episodes on netflix that came out nice this dude. morning at midnight wow That's awesome it's a mm -hmm. whole documentary yeah I, I read some articles i just uh heard about it yesterday and Apparently, they aired it on ESPN. They aired the first two, but <clears throat> several NBA stars were demanding that they move up the release of this documentary because of the cancellation of everything. Like, people mm -hmm. need sports. There's a big reminiscence thing. Um, Dude, but they the had, in 1997 and eight. Um, I think the current NBA commissioner was some other job in the NBA, like entertainment head or something like that, and he had heard the rumors. There were a lot of rumors that it was MJ's last year. So he convince the bulls to let a film crew follow them around the whole year and get these this like all access footage and it's been vaulted for 22 years and they and they're just finally releasing the documentary with like all of the guys um you know present day reflecting on those years oh that sounds awesome yeah so it's pretty cool man nice Dude, the 90s Bulls, do you think that they could have, I think they would have beaten the early two, like the Kobe and Shaq Lakers. What do you think? It's hard to say. I didn't watch much basketball after Michael Jordan. Yeah. And I've, I've started recently watching again because I think the NBA has a lot of cool stars in it now. I especially like Kevin Durant. It's fun to watch because he's just a freak alien who can't be stopped. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I like the James Hardens and... Uh, Kawhi Leonard and some of the stars now are just really fun to watch. It reminds me of the 90s with that dream team. Mm. 
But I didn't watch too much of the Shaq Kobe era. I think Shaq and Kobe would beat the Bulls. Do you really? Maybe I bet they would go if they played head to head. Maybe two out of three, the Lakers would win. Yeah, Lakers would win. Hmm. Or three out of five. Wow. Dude, well, see, Bulls the Bulls didn't really have a Shaq. They Shaq, had a Kobe, but Shaq, they didn't have a Shaq. Yeah. Shaq was insane, dude. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but with like you throw Rodman down there, I don't know. That's a good Bulls team, man. That's a really good Bulls it, team. Well, I will say it would be fun to watch that matchup. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I don't know if because uh, Rodman obviously he was big and tall, and and played a big man position was a a key rebounder and a key part to their their big man right. game. But I don't know if he's like a if he could stop Shaq. Yeah, right. I don't know either. I don't know either. He would certainly try. Oh, no doubt. Shaq was just an he was an animal, man. Yeah. Isn't but you know how we- you have like the elephant being afraid of the mouse. Maybe you've got the Shaq afraid of the worm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe. I, maybe. I, I mean, we could just throw that out there as a maybe. Doubtful. <laughs> Doubtful. Shaq was, you know, he was crazy. So anyway, I'm, I'm excited to watch that. <clears throat> well, what other birthday plans do you have now that you're 50? I'm I'm as close to 50 as I am to 20. Oh, yeah. Talk Gross. talk about that. Just how old you are. <laughs> I'm, I'm 35 years old. What does that mean? Like, yeah. what does it feel like? Is it as awful as it sounds, or is it, it just yeah? Same. I can hear. I can. Is that your mic or is that your bones just cracking, just rattling? <laughs> Man, dude, you have to die to go to heaven. You have to get old to die. So it's all good. I don't feel like behind in life at all. I, I honestly, I don't feel old. Um. The, I think the years seem like they're going faster. Like I spent six years in seminary and now I've been a priest for six years or will be six years in May. Wow. And these six years have felt like they've gone way faster than the six years of seminary. Are You will be a priest for six years. Six mm-hmm. years? Are you yep. sure? 2014 to 2020. We've been podcasting that long. Oh, yeah, you, were, you weren't goodness. even a deacon when we were podcasting, right? You were just seminary I was a deacon. Connor. I was a deacon. Really? Mm-hmm. I thought we were podcasting just before. Just now, right? Priesthood. We started in, oh. in February of 2014. Because it's an F14 yeah. initiative. F14. Which is the thing. We we made up that whole initial number system. Nobody's yeah, done that did. prior to us or since. That's What did we call it? The F14 initiative? Yeah. Because it's uh, the Tomcat, which is the plane that your dad flew in the Navy. No doubt. No doubt. I know that. <laughs> Don't have to teach are, you, are you at all feel like inadequate because you never flew? A tomcat in the army. Where's my Where's my therapy couch? Let me just tell you. Um, maybe, except for I think my dad is jealous of me because hmm. he's never been a priest. Right, and man, True. that kills him. Mm. <laughs> that must feel good. Oh, I rub it in his face constantly. That's mm-hmm. a great son dad relationship. Yeah. <laughs> I'll he'll send me pictures of him and the cockpit of his F fourteen upside down, inverted as they say. He was inverted. Yeah, and I'll send him one back just selfie mid consecration. Like <laughs> Oh in your face, dude. <laughs> it gets him. I win. There's yeah. you do win. 
you do, Ed. Uh, I've, I think I've said this before, but one of my all-time favorite Cardinal George quotes was at the March for Life. He did the Q&A with the seminarians, and somebody asked him about the celebs he'd met, like the president and all that. And he's like, I've never really been impressed with any celebrities that I've met because I always think I can do stuff he can't do. <laughs> Cardinal George. He was savage, dude. Bold. Bold. Oh. Except JP2. He said that was the only person he was ever in awe of when he met him. Yeah, what does that even mean? Did y'all ever see... I'm pretty sure you can find it on YouTube, but there's uh, it's the final days of John Paul II, and, it, and it's a little hour-long documentary deal where it, it follows maybe the last two months of his life. And I remember I watched it in, in October, and Cardinal George is in there. Cardinal George is in the video. Hmm. And I guess he was present... One of the last people who got to see his um, his body before before some epic moment, before maybe before they closed the big door to St. Peter or something like that. But as he's speaking on the video, he just gets bowled over and moved to tears as he's talking about his love for for John Paul and Cardinal George. And Cardinal George. Oh my gosh, I've got to watch that. I've never <laughs> seen him cry, dude. It's. Hmm. I had bulldozers a bit strong, but for Cardinal George, emotionally, it's a strong, powerful reaction. I, I remember re- rewinding it and being like, "Whoa, what's that called?" I don't know. Just, Just like <laughs> last months of JP2's life. Yeah, yeah, and it's like a lot of interviews with the nurses that took care of him and. Um, people who were around him during those last couple, because he was in the hospital, then out, and then in, and he tried to do some audiences and couldn't speak. And right, I remember that. But was just there powerfully in the window, and the we last celebrate days of Pope John Paul II, the untold stories. There you go. It's an hour and a half. CNN did it, according to this. I bet. I bet the Cardinal George deal is at like one o five. It's at the very end, or the wait. You said it's an hour and a half long. Uh, yes, hour and 28 minutes. So. Yeah, that's my guess. I kind of wanted to make a bet on that to see how close it was. Over, under? Over, under. Um, well, mm. I, hmm, I don't know how to bring this up without making it an actual, um, tropic theme. 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 Mm-hmm. There's tropic thunder. Do yeah, it, the, dude. We're the theme of this podcast is the tropics. Yes. The tropic, the tropic of Capricorn. Yeah, we can have themes, dude. We can <laughs> themes, definitely maybe a subject. If we're if we're church to each other, we can have themes, man. Absolutely. Come on. I'm churching hard over here. <laughs> a lot <laughs> of people asking these days, what does it mean to be church? <laughs> no doubt, <laughs> lots of asking that. No yeah, it's implied, but they're asking it. And then another yeah, phrase, uh, listen for it. If I were one for drinking games, the thing would be uh, anytime somebody says during this time. During this time. <laughs> <laughs> or just the word unprecedented. <laughs> yeah, unprecedented. Uh, how do we be church during these unprecedented times? <laughs> <laughs> Podcast. That's the only that's answer. The only, that's the only answer. Give us the theme, Mike. Yeah, what's the theme? All right, Una Tema. Well, and I don't know if we want if we do want to discuss this on the podcast because we'd have to give some well, maybe set parameters for how we'd like to talk about it, but I did see a hidden life. Hmm. And what are you worried um, about spoilers? Well, I mean, we it's a well-known historical the, event. 
Yeah, we kind of all know how that one ends. It's like the passion. Right. Um, well, it is exactly like the passion. Um, but I don't know if y'all would be open if, like, if y'all wanted to talk about it at all. Um, cause I did have some, some stuff come up around it where, um, I, I just been trying to think about how, think about how to put words to what the movie made me realize about myself. Um, Spit a little it. bit. I'm all ears, dude. Well, okay. All right. Great. Well, I mean, I love the movie. Um, Malik is, Terrence Malik is dynamite. Terrence Malik. <laughs> <laughs> Does it get three dogs north? That should be our rating system. It gets three dogs north. Oh, man. That's a good idea. But only movies never get anything less than three dogs. Well, this is what you could do. You could do like that gets one dog north, mm-hmm. or or if you wanted to do lower than that, you could be like that's three, that's two dogs south. Or if it's just really bad, you oh. could just say that gets Catholic stuff you should know. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> just a joke. No, that's real. <laughs> that's I, that sits is it sits is true to me. <laughs> that sits that sits true. Yeah, it that sits true. Like water into a sponge. <laughs> that resonates with me. Um, so you like the movie? I like the movie a lot. Um, obviously, the cinematography and just the way that he works colors and light. He's like the Rembrandt of, um, yeah, I guess yeah, like the Rembrandt of movies, man. The way that he hits these angles and allows certain things to pop on screen that you're paying attention to and kind of grasped by. Um, it's just absolutely beautiful. And where they shot that movie, Austria, like we got to go there, dude. Yeah. That place is crazy, but not during I mean, the winter apparently, because it looked pretty treacherous. Um, just the style of life that they live there, this farming community. Wait, like, point of information, Rob, have you seen this? Yeah. Okay, good. I'd forgotten. Um, and so the whole thing was just beautiful and um, moving and yeah, just kind of in awe of his story. But then, uh, I mean, just the way that the whole movie was shot and everything. Um, a lot of things that I could say about it, but one thing that I've realized uh, that's kind of come to the surface after watching Franz Jägerstatter. That's how you say his name? Franz Jägerstatter? I can't remember. I was corrected by Patricia Klein when I said it wrong, so I, I can't remember. I bet you were. Sternly. So I'm, not, I'm never saying his name again. Mm. Franz, well, that's how I'm going to say it. Franz Jägerstatter. Um, <clears throat> that he he's a saint. Well, he's beatified, and he's in the process of becoming a saint. Um, and as I prayed about, like, what is, what is this saint? I've never seen a, a saint really like that. Um, at least depicted in a movie that has has been so close to our age. You know, he didn't live that long ago, um, and yet, f- like, feels so very different than me. Um, and a couple of things that have made me realize that is just opportunities living here by myself. Um, and all of us being in quarantine, like we live a hidden life and 
so much of my decisions on what's right and what's wrong is really fickle. Like (laughs) it really depends on how I feel (laughs) depending on whether or not I'm like all in for doing what's good. And something that was really challenging for me about Franz Jägerstadter is that this guy, um, you know, I don't really know what his prayer life or what his spirituality was like, but it just seemed to be made of something like more ancient and more sturdy than anything I've seen before um, depicted on on screen and like been able to really relate to or at least try to relate to. Um, and I guess I've realized in having times where I've said yes to the Lord in my own hidden way um, and said and turned against the Lord and said no in these kind of little hidden times, um, it's made me think like how in the world did he do what he did because he was in total darkness with everybody opposed to him being tortured and ridiculed and ostracized for his decision and yeah I think he I mean obviously he has a relationship with Christ but it's very different than what I would describe like my relationship with Christ like you know a buddy a friend we talk to and Um, I can recognize movements of my heart and and real feelings where God's presence is there and his spirituality and the spirituality of that whole town uh, of his whole village um, was just something that honestly was a bit challenging for me. Um, And the only thing that I've really been able to make of it is that, uh, well, I guess two things and then I'll, I'll finish this rant, but that, um, he has something more than just a relationship with Christ that I think he's a guy that lives, that lived in communion with God, not, not just like a a friendship or a relationship or somebody that you talk to and share your feelings with and your thoughts with, but he was actually in communion with the blessed Trinity and like his whole life and the whole town and his whole village. Um, fostered that and his family and his love for his wife and all these different things fostered it in such a deep ancient like powerful unmovable way that i'm kind of jealous of that um it's more than just relationship it's intimacy in in communion like god was a part of his very dna and his makeup and you know i mean he they mentioned the name of jesus and this is the last thing that i'll say and he prays throughout the movie and things like that, but he's a martyr, but you know, he's not, he didn't explicitly, you could connect it indirectly, but he didn't explicitly die out of love for Jesus Christ. He did, but in, um, indirectly. He died because he couldn't, because in some capacity he was gripped by the truth. Yeah. And he and he knew that that was good, and he knew that that was true, and he did not want to betray the truth. Not yeah. like my love for a friend, um, but he was gripped by this thing that um, I, maybe is more difficult to point exactly to, but also seems to be felt like way much more deep 
and much more solid and unshakable. Like that guy's a mountain. So I think the landscape. There's also of, an know, unself-consciousness to it. Like, is this part of what you're reflecting on? That it it wasn't like he, his spiritual life <clears throat> or his relationship with Christ was some project that he was trying to get better at. It was just something that he, that grew kind of organically and authentically out of his own, um, out of his own personality. You know what I'm he, saying? Like, it kind of reminds me of um, a story Monsignor Esif told about, or somebody told me about him when he met Padre Pio. And Padre Pio was like, you know, all these people would try to get a look at his wounds and stuff on his hands from the stigmata. And he thought Esif was just one more looky-loo. And he said something kind of um, like, what are you just coming here to try to look at my, look at my gloves or something like that. And Esif uh, just goes, no, Jesus is dying in me just like he's dying in you or something like that. Like totally <laughs> not impressed with Padre Pio. And uh, evidently that was the beginning of a, a long friendship between the two. Um. But that's SF's whole thing was like, it was really off-putting how you'd see him. He'd be like, oh, Monsignor, nice to meet you. And he would just stare at you right in the eye and just be like, I see Jesus in you or something like that. You are Jesus. I think you would say a lot. Um, that's, that's Catholicism. It's not like we, I don't know. It's, it's tough because you do have to explicitly bear witness to your faith in Jesus, the person. But the end game like you're saying is communion um he didn't come in the incarnation just to be here next to us he can't he went back up to heaven and sent his holy spirit so he could live in and through us and we could live in him and have our lives hidden with christ and god and that's i totally agree that's what you see in that movie is kind of like saint francis was so christ-like you know that people would just see him and he was so shockingly alive but also dead to the world that they were like, he didn't really need to tell them what sins they were committing or say, you need to believe in these articles of faith. They just saw free man. Like many of the characters in that movie, like to me, one of the most moving scenes on the second watch was the old guy in the courtroom that takes him into his chamber in Mm -hmm. the middle of the trial Mm -hmm. and says, you know, you can tell he doesn't relish. He's not mad at Jägerstadter. He's in fact, he's kind of jealous deep down that this young man full of life is willing to give up his life rather than go with the flow. And this old man at the end of his life has already, it's already too late. He's already benefited from uh, giving in and uh, yeah, just going with the Nazi thing like that, that evil had benefited him very much. And here was this young man who was free and he's like, do you judge me? And Hirstetter says something like, I don't judge you. I don't know everything. Like there's still a humility in him. But he just says, I can't disobey my conscience. I'm not free to. I don't have a right not to do this. Because the guy's like, what gives you the right? You know, you're not going to make any difference in the world. And, you know, is it arrogance? Is it pride? And like you said, how did you phrase it, Mike? He was just, he was gripped by something. Yeah. 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 I like that, that it wasn't manipulative at all. And that's where... You know, go back to Joe Pug's whole thing about art moving the heart, transforming the heart rather than moving the mind. It's not a piece of propaganda. It's a piece of art that moves your heart. And at the end of it, I went and saw it with my parents and my mom was was bawling. 
Hmm. I was like, oh man, should I not have brought her to this? This probably ruined her day. And she's like, this was the most beautiful movie I've ever seen. Um, and that's what it was. It like shows you the beauty of a, of a human life, what it could be, even though it's tragic. Um, you know, that shouldn't have happened. That shouldn't have had to happen, but that's the way the world is. And yet there's still this freedom there for all of us if we'll take it. Yeah. You know, and also his wife is kind of an unsung hero too. Yeah. Because she suffers a great deal. A ton. Also yeah. willingly. And yeah. for longer, for her whole well, life. I looked it up and she lived till, I think, 2013. She was 100 years old. Wow. At least 100 when she died. Wow. And they were like in their late 20s, early 30s when he did that. Wow. Yeah. And her, his daughters were there at the filming of that movie. And the scenes in the house were his actual house. And the daughters oh, were there. Wow. The elderly women that were his daughters playing with him in the, in the house. And they were watching these actors play, play her, her dad and wow. stuff. Mm. Matt, say more, if you would. I want to hear more on like being, yeah, you kind of said three things of like being gripped by the truth, which is distinct from, I, I can't remember how you worded it, but like your faith in Jesus as like a friend. Um, do you remember talking about that? I want to hear more on that. I'm very intrigued by it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I guess part of why I wanted to bring this up is like, I don't really know. He just had something. I mean, yeah. he's a saint, and so he's one of those guys you look and you're like, what is this? What? A center for ants? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, this guy is doing something. God is doing something in this guy that I guess I've never seen before um, in such a subtle way, but obviously in, in such an amazing way. And so I don't really know. So the, I guess that's probably why I wanted to bring it up. But I think sometimes... What I noticed is that if I am, um, if I encounter some sort of a temptation or some sort of a decision um, of right and wrong, or it doesn't even have to be that stark, like that black and white, um, but I kind, I kind of know what I should do. That many times I'll come to prayer and um, really beg Jesus that the presence and the power of his friendship be made known in that moment because I need his strength in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that feeling, it's just not present. Like it doesn't, you know, Jesus isn't, um, it's not the therapeutic deism where anytime that I can just call on this help, then I get this good warm feelings and then I, I have the strength to do what I need to do. Um, but that his, his grounding on how he was going to live his life was on something so much deeper than just a moment by moment encounter with the presence of God that is always in front of us. Yeah. But it was, and not that that didn't happen and not that I shouldn't do that. Not that I shouldn't come and ask Jesus for help. And, but like his life, his heart what he was going to stand for um, was grounded in something so much, um, so much more consistent, some, something so much more fundamental 
and less fickle than, than my own fickle little heart. Um, and it's, it's powerful because here's the thing in the movie, you kind of get the sense. And I, I talked with Porter about this yesterday. Like he doesn't even really know why, <laughs> like, I don't think he could argue for his position, but he just knows that it's true because he's been gripped by something else. Um, and that's part of the beauty of the movie and the complexity of it is the opposition of why he shouldn't do this, why he should fold is so strong and convincing throughout the movie. But he can do that. Malik can layer the temptation and the lies so thick because we all know he's right. Jaegerstadter's right. Like everybody knows 80 years, you know, in hindsight that the Nazis and Hitler were wicked and evil. That is an unshakable right. truth that everybody believes in, which means if he, if you have that nugget, you can layer the temptations around it as complex and tempting as you want. Um, where even at the point where he may not even be able to reason exactly why he's doing the things that he does, but he has that, that core. And you also, as the viewer, know in hindsight that this guy's deed is massive enough to warrant this three and a half hour long yeah. piece of art. Whereas in the moment, you know, he, his wife and uh, and others and everybody telling him the priest that's in his room with him as he's, Signing away his life, basically. Oh, and the lawyers. I mean, yeah, it's such that a, all those people are convincing him this doesn't matter. No one's going to hear about this. Like, you're yeah. just go sign the sign the paper, cross your fingers behind your back. No one cares about you. Hitler doesn't know who you are. Yeah, um, he doesn't care if you believe in him or not. Like, just that you don't waste your life, and he he can't yeah. do it. Don't waste your life. Don't waste the life of your family. Don't waste yeah. the life of your children, your village. Everybody hates you mm-hmm. and could possibly get in trouble for this. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that answers your question at all. No, thanks. Do you relate it? And tell me if this is off, but I was thinking the only thing that I could relate it to, and I need your help fleshing it out anyway, but does it remind you at all of the science of the cross of Stein? Mm. Like, and I was just thinking there of, she makes that one point and I'm going to butcher this, but her whole thing is that it's actually not that uncommon oftentimes for souls to be kind of drawn down into what she calls the dark night of, of the soul. I think it's her understanding of it anyway, but they get there and what will happen is that the senses will oftentimes fall away to like where any form of prayer like before known or perceived is not possible anymore. But there's this sense of, there's a line somewhere in the science of the cross where she talks about, but there's, it's at the same time, like you both, you feel totally abandoned by God and, but you also cannot doubt his existence and his presence. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a lot of words for it past that besides there's just this knowledge um, there's this knowing that he's there with you. And Stein's point, I think, in the science of the cross is that if you have a director, you can then go through that darkness. But what happens so often to people is they come back up to the surface because it's too dark and they just think it's a wall that they're hitting over and over again. Like God couldn't be in this. 
um, because it's so dark. Yeah. And somehow, like he was able to to navigate it because he was a saint. Um, but I, I'm just I'm interested in the question. I guess to make make one more step past that of how do you help someone? Um, and this could be too far off, but of what you were like getting at, but like, how do you help someone make the distinction of, I, I just think it's a very common lie oftentimes that people believe, and I don't know where it gets in there, but I've definitely heard this in people, probably had it myself, is like, in order to do God's will, I have to be miserable and choose the hardest thing. And versus like, no, 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 this is like this guy, like this example of this unbelievable hardship and cross that he had to go through that's him living in communion with God. Like he's not forcing this. Does that step make sense at all? I can say more if you want me to, but do you see what I'm asking there? Yeah, maybe from like a philosophical <laughs> philosophical perspective, and this is what I was thinking when Mike first started talking about hidden life was Baron, um, I can't remember where he gets this, but talks about like the heteronomous relationship with the law, um, which is like up until Jesus, the law was something outside of us. And because we were broken and couldn't fulfill it, the only function of the law, like in St. Paul, is to reveal our sinfulness. Like once you know the law, you realize, oh yeah, that's what it means. That's what I'm obliged to do as a human being, but I can't do it. <clears throat> I can't do the good I, I'm supposed to do and I can't avoid the evil I'm not supposed to do. Um, and no matter how good you are or how close you get, the will is still, the, the law is still something outside of you that you're trying to conform yourself to. Versus after Pentecost and the fulfillment of the Jeremiah prophecy, I'm going to my, write my law within your hearts. That now the the law, the logos, the um, whole reason behind the universe, the truth itself, like you say, grips you, you know, and that's what, that's the mystery is that it, it's a divine initiative. It's a grace, but you have to cooperate with it. Like you can still choose to have your will you, you still choose to be willful and divide your will from God's will. But it was never meant to be that way. And it's it's now available to us to conform our will, not simply in just like, okay, I've got my will, God's got his will, and I'm going to try to to match them up, you know, through my own freedom or my own virtue building. But like, I'm going to let the law impress itself on me. Um, and usually like when you see, a, to me, like when you, watch that movie i'm gripped by the movie i'm gripped by the art that is revealing something so true um like i, I think the way i said it when i first saw the movie is that it didn't just make me want to be a saint it made me scared that i might not become a saint you know like it, it just there's such an urgency to it where you're like that's what we could be that's what we must be you know um well there's also and this and beauty this beauty seizes me in a way that my, now my heart wants it so my will is like, is God's will. God's will is my will. I'm not perfected yet. There's still these areas in my life where I go my own way. But d does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I mean, the only other thing I was going to add there too is, is something else that it did for for me, which I don't think it's quite like the same plane that you're talking about, Connor. And I mean that of like a credit to you. But, but there's also like a, a realization that um, 
Yeah. And, and what part of, part of it, what scared me, like that whole notion of like, it makes me scared not to be a saint is like, Hey, if you don't become a saint, then you actually look like the villager spitting at his wife Mm -hmm. and just how ugly that is. in like, as we've, as we're able to look back on it. Um, but that whole notion of like being gripped by something, um, and the importance of conscience and like being able to articulate that and follow it in, in our lives, like right now, it's, it kind of gave you both. Like it, it gave you what it looks like when someone, um, has the courage and freedom to do it. But it also in like a startling way gave you, I think a very artful image of that was ugly, um, of what, like the slope that you're on if you don't do it. Yeah. And and you know, the other thing that I find clarifying too, is this Von Hildebrand idea of um, value response that like authentic movements of the heart, authentic actions, um, human actions, choices are responses to values um, that like we're made in the image of God to be outside of ourselves. Like we're only, we only find ourselves if we lose ourselves in some other, you know, or some reflection of that other, like some beautiful creation creature. Um, but a lot of times what we do, like even in our own relationship to God, and maybe this is what you're getting at, Mike, where like he doesn't have a quote relationship with Jesus, where Jesus is like this cheerleader for him or a, a shoulder to cry on or something. And, and I, I don't mean to make that sound trite or sentimental, but um, versus like this, this person alive in him that is forming him into a new person that like his old self is being is being crucified and he's rising from the dead um in response to a value it's not like my relationship with jesus serves me even if that service is at like becoming a quote better person or more generous or less sinful like i'm i'm trying to be better but that's still me making me my project and it's all about me um Whereas like an authentic relationship with Christ is one that where the word is manifested to you. Jesus is so alluring, attractive that you're like, yes, I want to follow him. And there's that great scene with the painter talking about the paintings and the ceiling of the church that he was touching up. And he's like, I, I create a fantasy for people sitting in these pews that they wouldn't have done what these people did 2000 years ago if they had been there. You know, I create admirers of Christ, not followers. Um, like the word manifests himself and makes you want to follow him, but then you like need to beg for the grace to do it. And in the coming of the Holy Spirit, you become him. Like if you assent to it. And that's, I think what I, what I see in Jägerstadter is like, he doesn't need to, he doesn't need to explain himself that much. Like it would kind of, it would almost make it too self-conscious. Like I'm making a statement about Hitler instead of like just authentically like this is the this is the soil i've been planted in and this is how i'm supposed to grow into who i who i am and it sucks that the world is this way but i must be free you know what i'm saying so he's he's responding to a value that's even more valuable to him than his head yeah well and even more valuable because that's not his highest value even more valuable than his wife and this love this real powerful love that he has right in front of him in his family he's even willing to give that up it's 
and all these other things that you don't like he can't go to church anymore he can't receive communion he can't you know he's stuck in prison like things that even even holy things are cut off to him that he sacrifices you know um it's i mean even better than the passion i thought that illuminated what the passion means yeah Mm. But also the Michael Jordan documentary. I think that'll be a good one as well. (laughs) (laughs) It's very similar stuff, really. Content is very similar. Yeah, it's about work hard and you can achieve your dreams. Yeah. (laughs) There's something about even how the whole scenario is set up. I mean, he's obviously like a very Thomas More figure because he's not going around and proclaiming. He's not uh, asserting any positive statement. He's just not going to give away his word to an untruth. That's all he's doing. I'm just not going to do this evil. I won't say this. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I will not lie. And you know what? I, I was shocked. Nobody in the movie will not shocked by this, but um, I think it's telling of how evil works. Nobody ever straight up said what he would be doing. They would say, oh... Nobody will know. Nobody cares. Do it for your family. But do what? Lie. Tell mm-hmm. tell something that it, you believe to be is untrue and give yourself away to a lie. And nobody ever... That's like the thing. Evil never says it straight out. And it, yeah, he presents, he it, presents a good. Your life, your family. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. They the take cost. a consequentialist approach and... Right. Um, and it is compelling. I mean, the whole thing, you're like, dude. <laughs> well, it's, it's conflictual because you know, like Hitler, dude, he's doing the right thing. That's that's what's so brilliant about this story is as as convincing as these other lies will be, like you, everybody hates Hitler <laughs> now. Right. And so we can look back and see this unshakable truth to it. But But I think just the way that that whole story is set up, that it positions itself so he's been gripped by something and all he has to do is not give it away he's he's received this gift of the truth and i think it's actually close to what it looks like for in terms of like being saved and being brought into communion with god um all he has to do is just not lie and he remains in the communion uh, that god has brought him into uh, which it that's all the Lord's work, and yet he stands so powerfully strong, like in this stream of grace, and refuses to get out of it. Um, yeah, and and because of that, in his silence, this is something else that stood out to me. He he casts judgment on everybody, and everybody hates him because of it, without without saying a single word, like literally, because he's not saying it. Everybody sees and kind of feels like, oh, this guy thinks he's better than us. Yeah, and they ask the him many times. You arrogant pride. Yeah. Oh, what, you you judge me? You think you're you think you're morally superior to me? And and that's why I think his response to that guy was so important um, because it showed his heart there. He's like, no, I just think there are things that people do that you can't turn back from. You give yourself away to something and then you look down the road and you're like, 
I can never get back to the person who I actually am because wow. I've betrayed myself for so long. Yeah, that's very true. <clears throat> and and he says, this is that thing for me, which is, there's, it's, it's really truly not personally judging you or anybody. I just know that I cannot do this. And when light and truth come in, then evil is revealed for what it is. So everybody, without him having to say anything, feels the light of the truth judging on um, on this evil that they're participating in, you know, to some probably to more degree, degrees than other. And it's such, that's such a powerful line because the guy he says it to is in that position. And so he says it so non-judgmentally, and yet it is a judgment on that guy hmm. who doesn't hate Jaegerstadter. Like like you said, he doesn't he doesn't resent him for doing this. He's he's almost jealous of him. He doesn't want to put him to death. But he says that we give ourselves away to untruths and you do it enough and there's a point where you can't turn back and this is that thing for me. And he's saying this to a guy who clearly has done that, who is not quote unquote a bad guy, but he has betrayed this word of truth, which is the image of God in him, the, this communion of God. So many times he finds himself in leather boots with a swastika on his shoulder. It reminds me of Richard Rich in the Man for All Seasons when Thomas More looks at him and he goes, "Oh, Richard, it, the gospel says it doesn't benefit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul, but for whales, for whales, <laughs> for whales. like that's that guy. He's, yeah. you know, you're yeah. sitting comfortably at the head of this court." For what you get, you gave what away to get that, and that's what he's saying. And you know, the other thing that's kind of a catch twenty two in the whole thing is like the um, Fanny, his wife. You know, her great sacrifice is that she loses this man who she loves. And talk about response to value. Her love for him, it's it's eros love. You know, they make that very clear in the movie, which I think is beautifully done. Yeah. But um, she, they both see such good in one another, and that's what makes their love so authentic is like they're responding properly and authentically to the actual good like these are two very good human beings and um what if he were to give in and say no i love my wife too much to to do this so i'm just gonna lie and i'm gonna that changes who he is and he becomes the kind of man who would lie in order to have a more comfortable life. Hmm. And I think what I admire in her is that I think she recognizes that too, that what I love about this guy is why this is going to hurt. Hmm. You know, to love a man like this, you, you know, you, you don't have ownership of him and he doesn't right. own me. You can't like have we, one without the other. Right. Hmm. And I wouldn't want him back on those conditions. Hmm. Well, it just wouldn't be him right, if it was yeah. that conditioned. Yeah. Well, huh. I, yeah, yeah. well, any, I had another. Do you got to go, Biss? I don't want to. I have a little bit of a hard out, but I haven't gotten texted yet, so. Okay. Maybe a couple more, min more minutes. Oh, Final dang. thoughts. Yeah, Rob, did, I mean, I've talked a lot. There's a lot, I'll, there's a lot of things I'll say, and then Rob. Um, I, I think that this movie is the response to silence. I was. I, <laughs> were wow. you going to say that? Well, I was. Very gonna, well said. Yeah, 
Exactly. I mean, that was that was literally what I was going to say. So good. Are you serious? Good You're going to talk about the movie Silence? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. never thought of that. Yep. I mean, it's the it's what if someone came to me asking about the movie Silence and the implications for it and all that, which was kind of like that was discussed, you know, whenever I don't know, a few years ago when that came out, I would just tell them to watch that movie for a Catholic response to it. I would tell I, like if you, if you want if you want a Catholic answer to that movie, watch A Hidden Life. Um, that's how I would respond, dude. Crazy, and then watch a quiet place. You got silence, a hidden life, a quiet place. <laughs> oh. Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. Um, Happy Gilmore. <laughs> Babe. <laughs> Zoolander. Zoolander. What were you gonna say, Mike? Or was it just comparing it? No, 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 no. I mean, that's that, yeah, that's exactly the same thing that I was gonna say. That's wild. And just the irony of it that I guess I was struck by so many times in the movie. Uh, people said, nobody will ever know about this. <laughs> and you're like, and we're all watching it yeah, 70 years at, later. On Yeah, it's like a multi-million dollar movie. A huge director shot internationally or, or shown internationally. And yeah. on the big screen, some guy saying, no one will ever know about this. Like... I, there's something incredible about that and true. And now we're talking about it in the Three Dogs North. Oh, man. Which means everybody knows about it. Yeah. But it, 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 it just makes me think of, like, I mean, what a perfect time for us to watch this is so many times, just alone in, in, in the rectory here, I'm like, nobody knows. <laughs> nobody will know. Like, no, that's not the point. How was he so convicted of this without having to like, I'm going to truly believe in this, like willing this thing. But his life was just so conformed. And I mean, I think that's the deal in communion with God. Hmm. Um, My dad was telling me about, a. I think this is what kind of got my thought process going on it was Jaegerstadter was so attractive but in a way, like my prayer life and spirituality was so unrelatable to Jaeger's daughter. I'm like, what do we have in common? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm just like really curious and interested in it. And then starting to be not distraught by it, but like, I don't know if there are many similarities. And he was in the army. He was in the army. He was a motorcyclist. Um, but but I mean, in terms of how we related to God, and and I think, well, man, we could talk a lot more about this, but the whole groundedness in creation and their work on the land, mm-hmm. like there was just an inherent communion that they had with, yes. with being that... And they lived liturgically. It, and they did, yeah. The bells ring and everybody stops and prays. And it's just a part of the DNA yeah. of of life yeah. there, but... But my dad was watching a Father Mike Schmidt's video, and Father Mike said that we're not made for a relationship with Jesus. Like, you, we have relationships with Jesus, but it's not just personal relationship with Jesus. But that, as Catholics, and I think as Christians as well, we're made for intimacy with Jesus. Like, not just that you know him, not just that you think about him or you can talk to him, but like you were saying, Connor, like we were meant to be intimate with him, becoming one 
um, in many different facets, like one in heart, one in body, one in spirit, one in truth. But even more than that, I think that's true. And I desire that intimacy with Jesus. But in my head, that's still pretty romanticized, this intimacy. And there's like a lot of sentiment that comes up around it. And so I guess the word that I landed on is communion. Like that's really what we're made for is communion with the blessed Trinity. And I think he had that. That's what Jaegerstadter had in such this, such a, an unshakable, he's a mountain. He's a mountain because he is firmly grounded in communion with the blessed Trinity. And I, yeah, it, it was just, so that was the conclusion that I think I came to. Yeah. The only other thing I had to add, I really like just the notion of like the question of what was he gripped by? Um, and what did that do to him? There's just other, I think there's like other path pathways to, to think around it or to, to talk about it just as, yeah, some type of like a level of being or being human or whatever it is. But I, and I, I probably shouldn't even say this because it's, but it's poorly researched, so here we go. But I remember reading a letter one time, and I think it was a World War II, like colonel or general. I don't have the name, um, so it's kind of pointless to to try on that. But this guy was like a very, very accomplished uh, military leader. And he ended up dying in battle, and it was like a battle that he didn't have to go into. He could have like fallen back um, to be with the other kind of you know higher ups and and all of that but he he kind of guessed that he might die in this battle um and that he so he wrote this letter to his wife beforehand and he just expressed to her like how much he loved her and um that you know he knew the choice that he was making and how it might impact her but that if he didn't do it then the man she married would have like if he would have stayed back and lived, then the man that she loved and married would have died. Hmm. But if he went, then like she still gets to keep him um, because of what it does to his being, his person. And apparently, like I think he did die in in the battle, and his wife was like, I mean, she again, it, it hurt, but she got it, and like she was. That's exactly why she married him. Um, so it's just kind of a different, it just related in, in a way, that story of, again, I don't, I don't know that you'd talk about like a communion with God there, but there's still something to that. Like that guy's kind of on the path in, in a way as well. Does that make any sense? Totally. Yeah. 100%. Yep. <clears throat> can I finish with a little ditty here on the tin whistle? You guys can sing. <laughs> yeah, dude. Please, dude. <laughs> Feliz cumpleaños a Padre Connor. Feliz cumpleaños a That was Danish. Danish whistle. Playing happy birthday to myself because I can. Happy birthday, Biss. How, how long is that video? Yeah, there were 80 clips in it. Wow. Yeah. It was. It took me a while to watch. Wow. Felt very loved. Thank you, guys.
How many times today have you sang the song Sea Bisque in the House? <laughs> I haven't yet. That was a good reminder. Sea <laughs> Bisque in the House. Sea <laughs> Bisque in the House. <laughs> no, there was one funny one. Mark Bernhard did one from his car. He's like, oh, I just heard for the grapevine that's your birthday. I'm uh, just thinking back on all the times that we played basketball together back in seminary and you used to yell at yourself. Come on now, Sea Bisque. Come on. <laughs> yeah, he I didn't made... say that. Did he say that in the video? Yeah, he did. I uh, used to make you say that a lot, actually. No. <laughs> Never had cross you over. Nard dog. That's awesome. Nard dog. Those little spiritual nard pups. Dang. All right, I got to get going. Hey, you are loved. Thanks, guys. By somebody. Happy... I don't know who. Yeah. I feel it. Happy birthday. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.